You are listening to the 90 Days Later podcast with me, Anna Charles. This is episode 34. Welcome to the 90 Days Later podcast, where I show you how to stop over drinking in 90 days without missing out on life. If you're not an alcoholic, but fed up with saying yes to a drink when you mean to say no, you're in the right place. Hi all and welcome to the podcast, episode 34 already. Woohoo! Okay, I wanted to briefly say a big thank you to everyone who's sent me comments and emails on the podcast. And I've actually had a number of people ask how they can hear more from me outside of the podcast and is there a way? And absolutely there is. I wanted to let you know that if you go to 90dayslater.co forward slash list, you can sign up to receive my emails, which are all about helping you to stop over drinking. If you are not signed up already, get on that list today. Okay, so today I've chosen to explore the topic of over-desire. Now, over-desire is a super important subject because it really is the main cause of over-drinking and overeating and over shopping or over organizing overthinking and overworking overdoing anything in fact at its root there will be over desire understanding how over desire works and managing it is a key way to get control back of your life now i see this in technicolor with my clients so i'm going to give a lot of examples today that speak to the journey of changing your relationship with alcohol But really all that I cover today applies equally to other topics such as overeating and over shopping and so on, where desire manifests itself. So you can learn this once and then apply it across your life. That is so cool. Okay, but before we talk about over desire, let's first briefly look at desire. Now desire is the emotion of longing for something. It could be an object, a person or an outcome. And we feel desire through a release of something called dopamine in the brain. What is dopamine, you might be asking? Well, it's a neurotransmitter released by the brain during enjoyable activities. That sounds rather scientific. I'm not a scientist. So I like to think of it like this. Dopamine plays a role in how we as humans feel pleasure. Humans derive pleasure in all sorts of ways, in making connections, in sex, eating, drinking, looking at flowers, feeling the sun on your face, achieving goals. In fact, desire is a big part of our unique human ability to think and plan. It helps us to strive, to focus and find things interesting. Now, anything that gives us so much as a subtle dopamine response is going to trigger desire in us. Now, let me give you an example of this. Humans get natural pleasure from eating food. Our brains are designed to desire food because it's necessary to our survival. So back in the days when we were in the caves where food wasn't available at the click of a button or at the end of a telephone line, the desire for food acted as a kind of incentive for us to take the effort and go out and hunt to put food on the table. Effectively, it stopped us lounging around all day and then eventually dying of starvation. Now let's look at over-desire. Over-desire is exactly as it sounds, taking the natural human response of desire and concentrating the experience. It's a modern day thing that we humans are responsible for. We have created it. Knowing how wonderful desire makes us feel, 
we've boiled it down and found ways to deliver even more of it to ourselves. It's as though someone thought desire is good, over-desire is better. Over-desire involves releasing elevated levels of dopamine in the brain and this leads to highly concentrated pleasure. There are so many examples of this. Porn is a concentrated version of sex. Gambling is a concentrated version of making money. Man-made, highly processed foodstuffs such as flour and sugar are the concentrated version of food. All of these are designed to give an increased dopamine neurotransmitter response in our brains. Alcohol is distilled, blended and concentrated purely, purely to provide an intensely pleasurable experience. It's on purpose. Now, a glass of orange juice, for example, may feel uh, good to drink, especially if it's freshly squeezed on a hot day. But a chill glass of white wine or a beer or a sumptuous glass of red is going to feel far more alluring because it has been designed to be desired. I'll say that again. Alcohol is designed to be desired. Its job is all about being desired and giving pleasure. And your brain thinks, hmm, this is good, this is yummy, this is nice, this must be important, I want more of this. And the problem is that this becomes addictive. Drink enough alcohol and you will get more and more dopamine. Hugely concentrated amounts. It's like we're drowning in dopamine. But here's the kicker. Our brains, our human brains, weren't designed to handle so much dopamine, to handle the intense pleasure that we get from it all at once. So the neurotransmitters we have downregulate just so that they can accommodate the elevated levels of dopamine that, that's flooding into them. And then when that happens, that's when you want the alcohol even more. In fact, you will need even more of the substance to get the same reward and then you will desire it twice as much. This is really when you get into the hamster wheel of desiring more and drinking more and desiring more and drinking more. And that's what you see in drug addicts. Consume enough of the substance and you'll get physically addicted, permanently seeking the next high. And this also explains why one glass of wine turns into three with ease and often without you even knowing about it consciously. Or how you can demolish, or at least I used to be able to demolish, a packet of chocolate biscuits in one sitting when you only intended to eat one with your cup of tea. That concentrated boom hit of dopamine you get from the first biscuit or from the first sip of the wine only makes you desire the biscuits, the wine, the whatever more. Now, over-desire explains why so many people struggle with drinking in response to emotions. This is a big one, especially emotions that don't feel good. In fact, this is one of the key areas I work on with my clients. Let me explain how this happens. Earlier in the podcast, I said that our brains were designed to desire food to ensure we have sufficient incentive to make the effort to go out and find it so that we don't starve. Right? Food is, after all, essential to our survival. But when we eat foods that release unnatural levels of dopamine through highly processed flours and sugars, we experience more desire than we need for the food. 
and this is why it gets harder and harder to feel satisfied with what you eat. The over-desire causes us to want to eat more and more of the food stuff that we think is making us feel good. But it's only that so much dopamine is being released in the brain that we feel that way. And that is where emotional eating comes into play. But it's exactly the same when you drink in response to negative emotions. Now, for a lot of people, this manifests itself as follows. They start to feel a negative emotion. They don't want to feel bad. They don't want to feel shame or embarrassment or disappointment or whatever their go-to emotion is. So they drink to suppress the feeling that they want to avoid. And we know it works. We know in the moment that it works, that if you're feeling upset or shy or miserable or whatever, a drink of wine, a glass of wine will, you know, make you perk up and feel better in that moment. And we do this because the act of drinking alcohol releases a huge hit, that huge hit of dopamine I mentioned just now in your brain. And that gives the intense sensation of pleasure, right? So that's the chemical thing that's going on that makes us understand that a glass of wine equals pleasure. Now, this doesn't get rid of any negative feeling that caused them to reach for the drink in the first place. So the shame or disappointment or fear or whatever is still going to be there lurking. But what happens is that the drink masks the feeling in the moment, in that immediate point in time when you take the action of drinking. In fact, it's these unnatural levels of dopamine that are causing and creating these urges to drink in the first place where we kid ourselves that we're going to feel better. In fact, maybe that's not even fair. We will feel better and we'll feel uh, less immediate pain, frustration, whatever it is in the moment. Right? But that's only a temporary situation. It is far, far, far from permanent. And while I'm on the topic of urges and you know what what creates an urge uh, this is a the side note I wanted to talk about when I ask people right why they want to drink even though they tell me they really want to stop right so they feel very conflicted and I said and come on tell me why 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 do you want to drink that wine this evening they'll often say well I like it it's because I like it and if that's you you know listen up here because it isn't the wine that you're liking. It's the dopamine that you like. It's that flood of intense dopamine that your brain is craving, right? And this is why you can feel as though you're drinking against your own will or that you're out of control even. You might think you're out of control when it comes to your tipple of choice. It's why you feel drawn to drinking maybe four glasses of wine, even when you know in your mind that you don't really want to drink that much wine, if at all. So no wonder, no wonder, my friend, that so many people who are intelligent, highly functioning people, so many of them struggle with drinking. There is a real chemical and physical programming at play here, driving us to experience over desire. Now, I know understanding that was a huge relief for me. I like the fact that I could understand what was propelling me to drink that second or third glass of white, even when in the moment I really just didn't want it. This was a message I appreciated more, far more than being told 
I was weak or powerless and it was actually a message that gave me the incentive to take the steps to do something about my drinking. As I am doing here for you today, this is your incentive, right? It's the dopamine. That's the thing that is creating this over desire. Now, there's another um, related, I would say, related subject to this that we shouldn't underplay or shouldn't downplay. It's actually a really significant driver when it comes to, to drinking, especially in the case of uh, my audience, my clients who are you know, really highly functioning and have their lives together apart from the fact that you know they feel frustrated around their drinking. And this is the cultural conditioning and our beliefs around what normal drinking is and how much enjoyment we should be entitled to get from drinking. Right, let's start with a pretty obvious statement. Alcohol is not essential to survival, right? We can live without booze quite happily. Right? Now you might say, no, no, I really want my glass of wine, but just think about it logically, you know, pretend that there's no alcohol out there to feel the desire for. We as humans could live quite happily and healthily, more healthily in fact, without um, alcohol. You'd die without water, but you wouldn't die without a G and T. But there are much larger issues at stake here, and I don't want this to sound like it's, it's very a big conspiracy, but I think we have to bear in mind that alcohol is a multi-million dollar industry. There are lots of very clever, smart, highly paid people out there working to tell us and teach us and lead us to uh, believe that alcohol is a normal part of life and a normal part of pleasure. It's kind of like part of the, the bricks and mortar of living a, a human life. Weddings, well, you drink champagne, you toast with champagne, right? You always have champagne. Christmas. Who imagines Christmas? You go to a Christmas market with there's always going to be, you know, mulled wine there. Christmas and mulled wine go together. Have a barbecue in the sun, at least in the UK. It's incomplete without a jug of Pims or without some beer. Go to any corporate event, as I used to for years and years and years, and you'll be sitting at the table for dinner, you know, with your customers or whatever, and a waiter will come round and say red or white. Right? There will be this inbuilt assumption that A, you drink, B, you're going to drink wine with dinner and C, it's going to be red or white. Right? It, it's just this inbuilt assumption that we drink. And we are told this story over and over and over and over again. We're told this in advertising, in films, on TV. Heavens, you try and buy a greetings card for a woman that doesn't feature a bottle of wine or a glass of wine or a bottle of gin on the front. I, I challenge you to that. Let me know if you have success, right? And we have alcohol. We, we sort of consider alcohol as a rite of passage for teenagers. On top of all of that, then we go around telling ourselves that wine, I'm going to use my example here, what used to be white wine, French Chablis, is just so delicious. And our brains reinforce this by telling us that it must be really important and that we should therefore drink more of it when really it's just the amount of dopamine being administered that makes us feel good, right? So it's a very cut and dry, very chemical, scientific process that's going on. But all this inbuilt cultural conditioning around alcohol just doesn't get questioned, but I want you to question it. You know, I have clients who tell me that when they open up to their friends or family, that they're being coached, they get this really mixed response. People are confused by it. 
but you you seem you you, you drink normally right and that's because we just kind of expect that we should be able to drink question it don't take it for granted I want you to see how much of that social conditioning you have adopted and you have accepted. And you've probably done it without even being aware of it. Finally, don't feel bad if you've been unsuccessful until now at changing what you drink or what you eat or how you work or any other of these overdoing things that you have in your life. As I hope you can see by now, tackling over desire needs to be really at the root any transformational plans and when I start working with my clients desire is the number one thing that we work on and it's really because desire is kind of like the conductor of the orchestra desire is leading the way and that's the reason why willpower right trying to abstain or drink this through willpower won't work if you want to permanently change your drinking think about it when you simply try to resist alcohol through willpower without addressing your desire for it you're going to end up desiring it more right think about something it could be even someone that you wanted to hang out with when you're younger you know your mum or dad said no you can't see that person it just made you want to see them more and this is part of how we are sometimes as humans so that means we're drinking that even if you manage to stave off an urge to drink for many days months even eventually your willpower will crumble and you will give in always and this is why you can give up drinking for months at a time and I certainly experienced that myself but then go straight back to the drink of your choice if you don't address the feelings of desire because they're always underneath lurking ready now I covered some of this in podcast number 22 urges and I do encourage you to take a listen but the thing is if you want to cut back or you want to quit drinking entirely, your ultimate goal has to be to reduce the desire to over drink. Reducing your desire or your over desire to over drink will give you the freedom from the act of over drinking. Because when you don't desire something, it's easy to not consume it. I like to look at it this way. I'm not a smoker. You could put a whole carton of cigarettes in front of me. You could offer me free cigarettes for life and I would have no desire to take you up on that. Right? I actually have the same feeling about ice cream. You know, if you get these free tubs given to you at cinemas and things, I don't want it, right? Really don't want it, have no desire for ice cream. Imagine, and you're going to have, by the way, your own... Um, cigarettes or ice cream so think of something like that where it's really easy for you to not consume it even better if it's something that quote-unquote doesn't serve people right Um, where it's not something healthy we're talking here about something that that a lot of people were saying my god how do you you know that said to me Anna how how do you how do you turn down ice cream right I mean everybody loves ice cream Uh uh-uh they don't Okay, so take your own version of ice cream or cigarettes and I want you to imagine, right, take yourself to the place, what the world would be like if you could look at a glass of wine or a whiskey or whatever your drink of choice is, the way that you look at the thing that you don't want. So I used to say to myself, if I could look at a glass of white wine the same way I'd look at a scoop of ice cream or a cigarette, 
just how wonderful that would be. Right? That was my that was my goal for myself, my image for myself. That was what I really wanted. I really wanted to not want it. I didn't want to sit there resisting the glass, my desire for the glass of white. I didn't want to want the white at all. Now I want you to take yourself to that place and really just sit with that for a moment. Just imagine the freedom and the power you would feel. And I can assure you of two things without a shadow of doubt. It is transformative and it's absolutely possible. It's possible for every one of you listening to this podcast and all your friends who overdrink and anyone, in fact, who wants to make this change. I know because I do this and see this every day with my clients. And isn't it your turn now to do this for yourself? And the best place to start is to really sit with the idea that it's the dopamine that you're seeking when you say, I like it, when you think you want to drink for whatever reason, whether it's to celebrate or to deal with a, a negative emotion, right? It's nothing to do with you as a person. This is nothing to do with how you are particularly wired or more susceptible, you're a bad person or anything like this. This is all about the dopamine. So really start getting very curious. This is how we start to unpick the over-desire. Start getting curious about all the situations when you want a drink and start to look for the patterns and start to see what's going on, what you are moving towards or moving away from. And that's where we will find the answer. Okay, so in summary, our desire for natural pursuits is based on a very healthy release of dopamine in the brain for healthy food, for the sense of achievement we feel for exercise, for the joy of being in nature, for connection with someone we love. But when pleasure gets concentrated through things like processed food, alcohol, porn or gambling, more dopamine gets released in our brains than we can cope with. This causes over-desire, the desire for more, more, more of whatever we think is making us feel so good. Now, many people live by trying to keep that monster of over-desire at bay, right? They're kind of like constantly alert and on guard. And they do that by things like counting days sober, keeping away from temptation, not going to bars, not buying alcohol in the house, you know, relying on willpower. But I say that all those things just increase your underlying desire. The only way to manage this in the long term is to address that root cause of over-desire. Now, it's not easy. It's not easy. I don't like to lie about this. It does require work. But just consider for a moment the confidence you will feel from knowing that you can handle any discomfort to achieve the goal. You can feel any emotion and you've got this. Now, if you're listening to this and you want help to quash your own beast of over-desire, I can help. This is what I do. I help people stop over-drinking intelligent, highly functioning people who have their lives together but who struggle to drink less. Would you like to hire me? Why not book a free consultation call where we'll talk all about you and I'll show you the exact plan of how you can achieve your goals. You can book your call by clicking on the link in the show notes or alternatively go to 90dayslater.co and at the top you'll see the big blue button, book a call, click on that and I look forward to talking with you. In the meantime, I will see you next week.
If you like what you're learning in the podcast and you want to take the work further and achieve total freedom around alcohol, let's talk. I help my clients stop reaching for that first glass of wine the moment 6pm rolls around and they don't miss out on life. And we do it in 90 days. The effect is permanent. Email me for more information on anna at 90dayslater.co. And if you did enjoy the show, I'd really appreciate if you'd leave a rating and review to help others find the 90 Days Later podcast.